Save a prayer for those who care. I keep the faith, but no one will dare to hold my hand until the end. When all the pieces fall into place, my body is weak, the mind is tired, but there's a fire that heals deep inside. I close my eyes and stretch my soul to gather up the nerve to carry on. Rana. Hey. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome. Welcome. Thank How you. are you? I'm awesome. How are you? E extremely well. And uh, welcome to Marvel Talks. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you. What does Marvel mean? I'm curious. Marvel is an acronym I came up with when I published my latest book. Uh, it's on management and motivation. It stands for meaning, autonomy, relatedness, values experience and learning. And these are the components of motivation for a team, for building a highly driven team within an organization. So I took it and I used it as part of my brand just to give it some more spin and to push it into the stratosphere of what I do. <laughs> I like it. It reminds me of something magical. Superheroes, maybe. As Superheroes, well. yeah. <laughs> The association was not intended, but I like it. So that's fantastic. What time is in Sydney right now? It's 9 p.m. Ooh, Thursday. Thursday night. Fantastic. So let me do for our viewers who are slowly gathering before the stage, let me do a, a brief bio for Rana. Rana is a world-renowned sales coach who has worked in a variety of sales roles from recruitment, employment services, real estate, training services to selling software and more. She's she currently runs her own sales training, coaching and consulting business. 2020 has been a great year for Rana, following also the delivery in March of your fantastic TED talk, which I've watched and I loved it, on how you can achieve anything in life by learning how to sell. And it was recently featured in Yahoo Finance as one of the top 10 sales coaches thriving in 2020. Wow. How do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It, it was awkward listening to you um, introducing all my all the things I do. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but thanks. That was a good introduction. I, I feel great. I feel great. Mm -hmm. It's oh, It was always my dream to talk on TEDx. So, And it happened sooner than I planned because my plan was uh, I'm going to talk in five years' time. So... When it happened, I was like, I'm not even ready, but I, I kind of pulled it off. I've watched the, the talk and it was really, I mean, it was 17 minutes uh, on the spot with the key pointers being really clear to me. And I think it gives me a, a pass to ask you something very fundamental. What do we even mean by the word sales? Mm, that's a hard question. Do you, you know what doing? I guess, I mean, sales is people want to buy, like they're always mm. buying something, right? So at the end of the day, as a salesperson, I look at it like I'm helping that person simplify their buying decision and fit the right product for them and help them uh, improve their life or take away their mm. pain 
X, Y, Z. So I'm just that person facilitating that process mm. to make it easier. And obviously, I, sales from a business point of view, I'm helping businesses grow. So when I am a salesperson in a business, I'm helping I create more jobs. I'm helping the economy. I'm helping um, the company grow. So there's two sides. There's helping the customer, but also I look at it like helping mm-hmm. the company I'm working in, helping myself, helping my family, because the more I sell, the more I'm going to benefit as well myself. Win-win. So, it, so it's about helping. W- would you say that to sell is to serve? I think yeah, it is to serve, but mm-hmm. it's it, it could it is to help, it is to serve, but I also see it like a win-win. Okay, because I don't like look at it like you're a salesperson, you're a martyr, mm. and you're just like sacrificing. Like there's a lot of you know um social workers and things like that. I think they are. That's like, uh, but at the same time, being a salesperson, there are ethical salespeople that mm. uh, want the best for the customer. And they're there to make friends, build relationships, and they would simplify the the sales process. But there are other types of salespeople that they give a bad name to the industry, and it's just about that kind of quick transaction, next profits over people. So you decide which type of salesperson you want to be. I think you me- you mentioned something really important there, which also explains the taboo sort of uh, atmosphere looming over the sales over sales conversations mm. in the sense that there are negative association with sales which have to do with some traditional pushy stereotypes pushy types of salespersons stereotypes you know the kind of person that sticks their foot on the in the door so that they sell something to you or that they give you some of their brochures uh, or the people who run after you and they chase you to sell their stuff. But I mm. think, do you think that now nowadays it is still possible to get away with this pushy, aggressive sort of sales uh, approaches? Is it something that's still, is still valid today or we are moving towards a different type of salesman salesmanship if i may use that mm-hmm. term well i think i mean even back in the 80s and 70s there's sales books that have been written about being desperate and showing pushiness is not good in sales but i think back then they did use a lot more sales tricks so they did use specific sales techniques and psychology and you know creating mm. that emotion and urgency and things like that but we're now it's more about becoming it's, it has to become client centric And even uh, the buyers, like the buyers, the younger generation, they're looking for ethical uh, people to do business with. They want to do business with people that are more uh, purpose-driven, mm-hmm. mission-driven. But, yeah, you can get away with the um, high pressure, a little bit high pressure. If you're selling low-cost, high. so if I'm calling on the phone and it's a telemarketing call, yeah, you can kind of get away with it because it's just about numbers. Mm-hmm. And you're, you might be selling low-cost, um, low high-volume. But if you are selling to businesses and enterprise and you are selling uh, high-value products and services, then you're not going to get away with that. 
because people in business are very smart. Um, there's a lot of decision makers. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. And it's not just a quick transaction. It's not like the mum and dad in charge of their credit card and they can just take it out and say, here you go, I'm, I can buy this holiday or I can buy these headphones. It's a lot of different, um, it's quite complex internal politics there could be three people that want your product and the other two hate your guts so no you're not going to get away and your credibility and reputation can just be ruined in a second in the um business to business enterprise world as well i think you're correct in that the business to business landscape when when, when we're talking about selling to businesses is completely different mm -hmm. and um there are more stakeholders, more decision makers, and even the, the gatekeeper in a company, uh, whether this is the learning and development officer, which is mm -hmm. for a course, or whether it's the IT, the chief technology officer who may want to buy software or services. I mean, unless you manage to convince them that you're trustworthy and that you are somebody who they would be they would feel comfortable recommending you to the board right or to the to the key decision maker in the organization i don't think you you get really far away and you remind me talking about the the, the 80s you remind me of the 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 lemon story uh, which was about you know people were selling used cars especially in the us mm. and and you know if you if you the unsuspected buyer were unable to spot the defect let's say in the car you were purchasing well the shame the shame was on you because at that time it was not possible for you to verify the credibility let's say of the mm -hmm. salesman or of the brand of the product and perhaps the innate defects that had at the time and this basically this lemon, this is why they call them lemon cars, because you could be fooled by salespeople easily, and that was that also helped led to the uh, the taboo over the sales concept. But today, today we live in a world where there are checks and balances everywhere. So mm. what we are seeing is that unless you have integrity in what you said, unless you you are an ethical salesperson, um, and if you sell a crappy product. People will go on name and shame websites, mm. right? And really yeah. say all bad things about you. They will go on your website and leave a nasty review, zero stars, and tell you this is a, a fraud or mm. whatever. So the, I think today, because of the internet and the fact that people can go to forums and check about the specific types of products, cars even they buy, there are more checks and balances which motivate salespeople, be it because everyone is in sales, I mean, even lawyers, insurance people, they motivate them or they necessitate a more uh, ethical approach to sales. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was going to mention, absolutely. So just one bad review can ruin your whole reputation. And it's not just one bad review about your product and service. It could be one bad review about your customer service and they mm. could put your whole name on the website and then when you go to look for a job that employer sees that customers have written a bad review about you and it could even uh damage your chances of getting an opportunity in the workplace 
So it, you don't even have to be a salesperson to get a bad review from a customer. I mean, there are people that are going to people's Facebook pages and ruining their whole lives and getting them fired just because they said something out of line or not within a, the brand of the company or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, we're living in a, in a great time but also a time that you can't hide mm. your ethics. And if you hide, people will question and query why mm. in, a, in a world where brands are out there publishing themselves and their stories, if you choose to hide, again, it suggests something about you. I don't know, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. The, mm, mm. Absolutely. There are some people that have no... Not, so if, if I wanted to find something about somebody, whether it's for a housemate or a job, and I don't see anything on them, I mean, great, good on them. That's the way. But sometimes it's great to have something online about you, a digital footprint, so people can build that rapport and trust with you even before they meet you. It doesn't have to be where you're posting every day, every week. You can just have, I don't know, something I don't know, on your Facebook or on your LinkedIn or something that just shows your human side. So I think that having a digital footprint is a double-edged sword mm. in the sense that once you decide to put yourself out there, you must be open to positive and critical reviews as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, if you decide to have a Facebook page, uh, then you have to be ready to get positive and negative reviews. If you decide to have to go on LinkedIn and generate content so as to deliver your message, you have to be open to that as well. Do you think a personal brand is important today in sales or in any kind of commercial activity that maybe what's the importance of a personal brand today talking about let, let's take individual professionals who would like to spread their wings into the commercial stratosphere how important is a personal brand i think you know what the thing is as you said it is a double-edged sword mm. if you're a person that um I don't know. I feel bad to say, like, maybe people are hard to figure out. Um, you're, you're just somebody that kind of doesn't have any restraint and you're just, like, posting online every day and you're just negative, you're putting people down, you hate your life. And then I was a recruiter or at a customer and mm. I went and I looked at your profile. I might think... Well, you know what? This person might be nice, but they're just, I don't like their energy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you are, if you do decide to create a personal digital footprint, you have to be aware that it could either work in your favor or work against you, depending on what type of person you are. And yeah, I think like there's this whole movement, be authentic, be authentic. And I think, yeah, be authentic, but with tucked like for example i i don't go to a restaurant and i start eating with my sometimes i do you know but like eating with my hands and like there's etiquette even when you go out in society you have to put clothes on you have to um and i don't even like the word etiquette but there is etiquette and i think online as well it's good to be aware of how you behave and present yourself but at the same time, How yeah, be, be yourself, mm -hmm. be yourself, whatever, like, but 
Yeah, so it, it's hard. Like I don't have the exact answer. But, you know, as I said in my talk, and I think you did mention, you mm -hmm. can create rapport with people online and you can get people to want to buy from you or buy into who you are or your ideas even before they meet you face-to-face. -face. Let's take LinkedIn, which is the place to be as the tagline goes. Uh, how do you create rapport on LinkedIn? Okay, let, let, let me give you the worst example. I sent yes. you a message. Hi, Rana, here is my product. Would you like to buy it? I mean, that's a catastrophe, right? That mm -hmm. means how do you build rapport and trust on an online platform? Like uh, what are the components, the ingredients to build rapport and then hopefully convert, converting it to potential business? Is it, it, can everyone do it? What's your view on it? So your self-orientation on LinkedIn needs to be low. So if you put your, on a scale of one to 10, where is your self-orientation? Is it a seven, eight, nine, 10? You're not gonna succeed on LinkedIn. But if it's a bit lower and you are thinking, how can I help other people get to it? And it's hard because we're very, um, you know, we wake up and it's all about us surviving, getting, eating, um, how we feel, getting ahead. So it is something that you have to work at at the same mm -hmm. time and some people are naturally altru altruistic and they really want to give and that's in their nature but other people they have to learn that as well so you will succeed and build rapport if you think about how can i help others get to where they want to be so that could be through creating your content sharing information uh, liking their posts engaging on their posts being positive reaching out to them saying hello, posting something that could brighten their day, like a video that, you know, I've seen um, people tell me that video that you posted, it wasn't even me, it was some motivational speaker I posted. They said, I was like thinking of the worst, darkest thoughts and it saved my day. Like, thank you so much. Because I, Are, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so I you think that's how you You gave them value. Yeah. I, re I remember in 2018, uh, I told you this story quite a few times. You posted a video and it was around that time in the summer of 2018 that I began using LinkedIn. Mm. It was a door, I had a doorman, a passive account. And then I saw a video, you posted a video giving some uh, really uh, highly valuable tips on sales and influence, I remember. And I was thinking mm. to myself, how the heck is this lady giving so much value for free on a video on am i missing something i mean why does she and it was like on the, to the point you if you do this if you do that nothing nothing withheld and this is where I, mm. I i i contact you for the first time and you you helped oh, yeah, me we, we, we remember? The first time yeah. yeah yeah and you helped me understand that this is this is the exact point of how you begin to show people that you of your character of your mm. intentions, of your intentions, or of, of your value, and your appetite as well, and your willingness to go the to play the long game. Because you said something in your TED talk that stuck with me, which is about planting seeds. I mean, if the only thing you do on LinkedIn is buy my service, buy my product, buy my mm. that, this immediate, and you seek the immediate gratification gratification of doing something now, as opposed to playing the long game, I think you will lose. What do you think about yeah. the long game? Is it, is it important to go in for the long game? It's important because it's so hard because you can't measure the long game. For example, if I go to the gym 
and I'm overweight and I'm going to go and start training every day. And then after two weeks, I'm not going to see results even after a month. So a lot of people, what they do, mm. even at the gym or even with their diet, they give up. So LinkedIn is just like the gym. The more you start to create value, share content, build relationships, nurture, you're just planting all these seeds that are going to grow eventually. And it is frustrating. You're, you are going to get frustrated along the way because you might not see results straight away. You might not even see results for a year sometimes. And a lot of the branding, um, it's not measurable results. A lot of people say to me, so, you know, tell me about do you, how do you sell when you're mm. doing I don't really, I just know that all the stuff that I'm doing, I'm building at the end of the day, a lot, I'm getting a lot more people taking me seriously and I'm getting a lot more people reaching out to me and coming to me. And even I'm getting so many more people building that trust with me where it would have taken a lot longer. I would have had to go to so many coffees and meetings and to prove myself where people are just coming to me and they're already sold on who I am because I showed who I am. And so I was showing people what I can do, especially when you're in, so like if you're a coach, you're a trainer, you're anything to do with communication, you cannot get away with not even having, I don't do a lot of videos, but having some videos, mm. sharing some articles, writing blogs, sh showing, showing what you can do, showcasing what you can do. And I didn't do this for a long time. Like even though I kind of knew it, I didn't want to do it because I thought that, well, I don't want to like, I'm already working in this. I'm getting paid. Like, I don't need this. But at the end of the day, I think I, um, yeah, it was a, I put myself at a disadvantage because I resisted for a long time. Well, what do you think of people who feel that uh, doing video will expose them as vulnerable or will expose their vulnerability so it's, Okay, it's a personal thing, but do you mm -hmm. think that, let me twist the question, do you think that it is in everyone's interest to consider uh, delving into the personal branding chapter more uh, vigorously with more zest, like doing videos, publishing stuff? Is it, if they don't do it, they will stay behind? Mm. What's your take on it? What's your take on it? Uh, that's a hard one because I mm. have, look, I think, if you're selling anything in business, um, services and things that you need to show your face, you can. Mm. But like say I, I'm an, um, I sell on Amazon mm -hmm. or I have like some online shop or I don't know, I work in a supermarket. There's some, there's some things that you don't need to build a personal brand for because people are still going to buy them because there's, a, mm. there's a, like a necessity. But... This is a hard question too. I do know that if you're selling, you can make life a lot easier, especially if you're an introvert and you're mm. not somebody that likes to go out to a lot of networking events. You're not someone that likes to always be talking on the phone. Then I think um, online could really help you. But there are some people, don't get me wrong, they do really well without the online. They might have to work a little bit harder, by the way, with all the outreach and the prospecting and things like that. But I think um, some people, they could do well without LinkedIn because they're extroverts mm. and they're always at the net. Like I met a guy that said to me, he sold so much and he doesn't really do any videos or anything. He's a coach and he sold like 40 grand in a month during COVID from his BNI group. Yep, I know BNI, yes. Yeah, I because he met mm. all these people, he built relationships with them and he built trust and he gave them a lot of free things. So don't get me wrong, you can still, like I'm not saying that you can't sell 
without because I've always said you can you don't need online branding mm. to sell, mm. but at the same time, it's going to make your life easier. I think that the, I think that the introvert versus extrovert prism is a very accurate one to to capture this conversation. Um, what do you think about introverts versus extroverts? Who is the best in selling, regardless of whether they use LinkedIn or not? There is a myth or there is a sort of an, a perception that if you are an extrovert, you are a better, you have better chances of building rapport. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and I will give the floor to you, what I believe is that introverts may lack this uh, ability to get out and be extremely social, but they have a, a better developed sense of empathy. What's your take on the sales, uh, on this scale of introvert versus extrovert? Who is, or maybe which components or ingredients should be combined so as to make a great salesperson? Um, okay, let me think. Yeah, so I've always said introverts make really good salespeople because they don't they don't uh, trigger the fight or flight response in people mm. when they follow But the only problem with introverts is when it comes to following up and building relationships because they don't like to talk to I mean, this is just generalizing, mm. but they don't like to talk to a lot of people and they're not into small talk and so that could be a problem for them. So that's where they might have to work a little bit more, where the extroverts have to work more in just kind of shutting up and listening and not being so in your face when they like that intense energy that can kind of scare people. But apparently I read recently that the best salespeople are the ones in the middle. They're called ambiverts, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have both, like to have that balance in the middle. So it's a myth that extroverts sell better. I agree. I think that you need to take components from introverts and extroverts. And perhaps an introvert can uh, polish those skills that they're lacking, like communication, mm -hmm. like confidence. Uh, whereas the extrovert, maybe they need more training on emotional intelligence and, and mm -hmm. having the patience to an active listening. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that emotional intelligence is important for sales, Rana? Yeah, absolutely. And there's been studies that have um, where I don't know if it was L'Oreal or a big uh, brand, and they took their salespeople through the emotional intelligence uh, program, and they sold. Mm. Don't quote me on this. Like thirty percent more or forty percent more than the mm. the salespeople that were not that didn't go through the emotional intelligence as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, especially when it comes to the empathy side of things. Mm. So, you need to have empathy. The um, You need to have motivation uh, and self-awareness of where your, where the gaps are in your own. So, if I'm somebody that just keeps on talking, talking and mm. I don't listen and I don't ask good questions or I might get triggered really. Because also self-regulation is another component of um, emotional intelligence. So, yeah, so you need to self-regulate really well when it comes to selling. Otherwise, your, all that rejection and people being rude mm. is going to get to you. So, absolutely. I think, 
I think you, you mentioned a word that is really hot in the sales conversations, rejection. Mm. And rejection sucks for many people, okay? Is it possible? Okay, is, is it possible to build a muscle so as to withstand and deflect the unpleasantness associated with rejection? Is it possible to mm. grow a thick skin? Are you born with a thick skin? Can you learn how to do it? Is it a muscle? How do you handle rejection? Some, it depends on that person. So if someone, someone has a growth mindset or they train themselves to have a growth mindset where whatever negative things happen to them, they look at the opportunity, then they could probably handle rejection. But some people, they have a very um, the fixed mindset, the ones that mm. oh, I made 50 calls this week and I'm not getting anywhere. There's no point. I'm not good at making calls. People hate me. Sales sucks. And those people, they're not going to condition their minds to embrace rejection. And when it comes to rejection, the number one thing I always say is you have to expect and accept rejection because if you let it shock you, then it's going to be hard because 95% of the people that you want to do business with don't have a need for what you have and mm. your job find the right people like even that one or two percent that are going to be your customers i also think that rejection is an opportunity for you to rec recalibrate your approach and to mm. perfect your pitch i mean okay it's easy to say it when you are sober and when you haven't been through the the cold shower of rejection but in my experience the rejections that I had in my consulting business helped me formulate a clearer message mm. and helped me perfect my offer in a way that helped me land a new job. But the question is, how easy is for, how easy is for somebody to not to quit after receiving a number of rejections and take it personally? And I wonder whether it's something that you can build or something that you you, 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 you take with you from, I don't know, maybe it's a genes thing, maybe it's a DNA thing? Well, I mean, there's a few things you can do. Number one is you have to identify the impact that you're making in your mm. whatever you're selling. So how are you going to change? So the more you believe in your product mm. and services, the more that you are not going to care and not let rejection get in your way. So you're not going to give Fantastic. up. Then number Fantastic. two is you have to change the story that you're going to tell yourself. So... Mm. If I every time I get on the phone and I tell myself, well, I'm going to bother people, our product sucks, whatever, you have to change that story, even if it's a fake story that you have to make yourself believe until you condition your mind. Number three is before you go out, you have to, um, as Tony Robbins says, use your physiology, change your physiology, you're smiling, you're, you know, put your shoulders back because it's going to help you become more confident no matter what happens. Number four is reframing. So reframing means if I made 50 calls today, and as you mentioned, I'm thinking this is my chance to practice. I had good practice. You know, it's not rejection. It's just um, so you change. You look at it like gl glass half full for people. For example, people are looking at COVID, some people are looking at COVID-19 as oh, opportunity to get better, grow, etc. And then number five is uh, develop mastery. So the more that you're going to learn how to sell, how to communicate, the more that you're going to get better, by the way, at selling. 
because I've seen people and even myself when I first started making cold calls, I was so bad compared to what I am at the now, years later. And that's as that's because I've developed mastery. And also if I stop making calls for six months, I'm I I lose my mastery, by the way. Mm. So it's all about just practicing. So I always take people through those five um, kind of steps to build that confidence and not let rejection get to them. So confidence is a muscle. You need to keep practicing it, flexing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I yeah, definitely. But it depends on your kind of mental state, the mm. circumstances around you. Uh, if you're in a bad relationship and that person every day they're telling you that you're a loser, mm. you, your confidence can go from here to there. Or if you have a boss that's putting you down. So it's a matter of also just um, working on your ego and protecting yourself and being putting yourself in the right environment. I know it's not easy to leave um, friendships, relationships or whatever, but sometimes you're not confident because the people around you are trying to tear down your confidence and mm. self-esteem. So that could be, or sometimes it could be something in um, like the chemicals in someone's brain because some people with their mental health, they suffer mm. a lot more. So those people have to work harder because they have less of a mental health privilege than somebody else that could be like mentally strong. So it's been a, about being self-aware and identifying This is what I have to work on and I have to work so much harder. For example, I have dyslexia. When I have to write emails and things like that, I probably spend 20 minutes extra on average per email sometimes mm. than a normal person. That, um, that So I spend maybe a few hours a day sometimes having to proof, but I have to work harder. I know I don't let that get to me. I don't like, oh my God, life's so unfair. I'm just going to give up. I'm just like, okay, I have to work harder than some other people. But some other people have it harder in other things. So, yeah, it's always self-awareness, identifying the gaps, and then making it happen. So self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you this said, it's a muscle. Mm -hmm. Practice. Flex those muscles. Mm. I've read somewhere that I will come back to the confidence point, but I've read somewhere that, and I'm using it in my trainings, sales is 95% conviction and only 5% persuasion. Mm. I think that unless you believe, as you said, in the value that you intend to bring to the prospect, um, it, it is going to be futile to use persuasion techniques and tricks, mm. uh, NLP, and tools that can help you perfect your pitch. Do you think this is true? That the, yes. the, the actual techniques will not get you far unless you convince yourself first that you have value and real compelling value? Absolutely. So that's not even just value in your product, value in yourself. So that mm -hmm. is all comes down to the confidence in yourself and in what you're selling. And sometimes it takes like... It does take time to build confidence sometimes when you're starting out in a new, say I start out with a new company and it's a new product or service or I'm, I go out on my own and I'm a consultant. You might not have confidence because maybe you haven't seen the results yet. Okay, so it's, you have to, sometimes it takes time to get that confidence and then once you start to see that you are getting results, you're helping your customers get results, 
then you are, of course, you're just going to be confident. And if you're not good, get better. If your product is crap, um, make it better or leave that job and sell a better product because you're never going to believe in, you're not going to have, as you said, the conviction. That was my next question and you, you've preempted it in the sense that if I'm, if I'm working in a job selling a product or a service in which I, I do not believe, then I think I am buying myself a ticket to misery and mm. to lack of motivation, lack of conviction, lack of confidence. So I, I although it, it's a difficult call to quit a job when you have bills to pay and you have ends to meet so as to uh, find something in which you have a better belief in, I think in the longer term, it, it will serve you better because you, it will be more aligned with you, uh, mm. not only as a salesperson, but as a professional, as a person as well. So do you think that people who do not really feel motivated to sell should consider whether they are not really, they, they haven't bought into what it is that the, their employer is selling? Is it a valid consideration? Yeah. That's an, if, that's an, mm, mm, please go on. Yeah, if if you're working somewhere and you are selling a product and there's a lot of complaints about it or the customers are not satisfied and you're doing everything you can to build those relationships, that's going to ruin your reputation and credibility in that industry. So because people talk and that could also ruin your personal brand if you mm -hmm. are selling something that is not a hundred percent going to satisfy the customer. Let alone, let alone, not believing that your product has value or helps solve a problem or alleviate mm -hmm. the pain. Uh, that that could be even worse, in my view. And I've seen it, especially now in my. I was working in the financial services uh, sector as a lawyer, corporate lawyer, and I know that some lawyers uh, were asked, for example, to do some tasks to help some kind of clients or to engage in some, let's say, gray areas of business, okay, mm -hmm. uh, which in which they, they do not believe, but they had to do it, and you can see in a conference room, in a meeting with a client, you can see that they they that the person is not really exuding enthusiasm confidence mm. so I've, unless you align yourself with and with the values of your employer and with the attributes and the value of the products or services which you're selling i think there will be a mismatch that inevitably will erode your chances of uh selling yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, there are some people out there, they don't care. For them, the highest value is making money and they would mm -hmm. step on anyone to to make that money and they don't care what product it is or how faulty or whatever. And you've seen, I mean, examples of this with some schemes in the 80s or the 90s. Mm. I don't know what they're called, but there were people that were selling things that were unethical and... um they didn't care. They just like because they it was for them it was more about the money. Mm. And that was what was the, their highest value was making money. 
It was not about customer satisfaction or anything like that. It was, yeah, yeah. In the, in the, in the pyramid schemes in the stock exchange, I think the, the Wall Street sort of uh, the Wolf of the Wolf of Wall Street movie, mm -hmm. which you, you which you mentioned as well in the in your TED talk, or portrays this lack of ethical mm -hmm. reservations rather boldly as well. Okay, yeah. so it's a it's a character thing as well. Some people simply don't care, so they will fire away whether or not they believe in the value of their product or service. I've seen I've seen that happen. I even wrote mm. a novel about this. It's a fiction, really? but it's based yeah, it's based on real salespeople. And there's examples of these people and the the tech the tricks and the lies and the, um, mm. the things that they used to use just to sell and they didn't care although the product was good but they just lied they made it better than what it was so they over um over promised and under delivered which sort of amounts to a kind of manipulation as well or a, a, manipulation and that's what they were taught on the sales floor they were taught to manipulate so persuasion and influence, which are key pillars of sales, I think there is also a negative connotation there. Is it correct? Mm. Persuasion, yeah. because people people want to be taught of these skills. You know, the, the whole Cialtini uh, concepts of persuasion. Is there truth to the allegation that these things are manipulative, these concepts lead to a manipulative approach of sales or it's a myth as well i mean using persuasion mm. and influence is it something negative you think in your mind or it depends on how you view it so at the end of the day whether you are going on a date are you going to show up in your pajamas you're really manipulating right because you put makeup on not mm. you. <laughs> so i'm just like I did say in my TED talk that you can't really influence somebody. They have to feel that they are the ones making decision and that's using Socratic questioning and taking them on a thinking journey in order for them to make their own decision. But you can position the situation where it makes it easier for them to trust in you, but it has to be real. So, for example, if I'm building my credibility and I, I'm saying, you know what, I'm, I know what I'm doing, I've had this many years sales experience, whatever, and I've helped this many customers, it is real. But I'm positioning myself because I'm going to talk about it. I might talk about it in a video or I might put it on my profile on my LinkedIn or I might put it in my resume. So that's one way of positioning yourself to, mm. influence, to influence the outcome. Taking a nice headshot in a studio, looking professional, that doesn't... Mm look like you sometimes a hundred percent yeah you're but, correct. and wearing a suit but you are positioning to influence so as long as it's ethical mm. and you are being real and transparent then yeah but i mean caldini is a genius and i follow caldini's in all my work for my business i follow his principles of influence in everything i do from the social proof mm -hmm. to the to the liking to building your authority at the end of the day, it's about intention. I think it, it's about yeah. what what your intention Absolutely, is. Yeah. Okay, if your intention is to penetrate the wall of distrust so as to reach 
and to convey your, your message to the prospect, uh, I don't think that it's unethical. So if you mm -hmm. believe in the value of what you have to offer, but you realize that there is so much noise today and you need to be able to position yourself before your prospects has to give them value, I think there is nothing wrong with that. You're correct. Mm -hmm. But if you, don't, if you don't have that and your only concern is to use hocus pocus so as to push your products that in which you don't believe to them, it's a different story. Yeah. As long as you know that it's going to help and change their life and help them or change their business and make their life easier in their business. So, for example, for me, when I'm selling sales training, I'm helping salespeople and non-salespeople, number one, take away their anxiety, the anxiety of getting on the phone. Now, I can't guarantee that I can do that with every person, but I can do it with many people and I can help them. Number two, I can make their life on the job easier. I can, I can even help save their job because once they start performing, they're not going to lose their job. So there's a lot of things I believe in and when I'm going out to sell my sales training, I'm thinking about the impact I'm making in those people's mm. lives. And let's put aside even making profit for the company. Like I'm thinking about those specific individuals, the staff members that are, that are not really my clients because they're not the ones paying for me. Mm -hmm. And actually it's a lot harder to work with people that are not, that are not paying, by the way. But it can be done. So it's about the, the it's about the personal mission as well, I think. And if if you if you manage to come to terms with what you are about and what your mission is or what motivates you and gets you up in the morning, it's going to be much easier for you to find reasons to do things that may may appear, you know, like cold calling or reaching out to people to tell them what you do or to try to sell the stuff that they may not need. Yeah, as long as you are led with a mission and you understand the impact you're making in that person's life or business, then you're not going to be scared most of the time to go out and sell whatever you're selling. What are the key, and we're wrapping up the, the discussion, I think we covered some really good points. What are the key skills involved in effectively selling a product or service are these common skills in mm. all industries yeah oh i mean in all industries what do you mean all industries i mean a lawyer the skills that the lawyer requires for example mm, okay because your, yeah, your clients are lawyers most of the time yeah, let's say law firms or or an insurance are you, are you defending a, if you're defending a criminal as a lawyer you could, if you're somebody that thinks about that person, maybe they didn't grow up on the right side of town, um, mm. you know, then you, you could have, if you have a lot of empathy, no matter what the criminal is, has done, you can always believe because you have to believe in what you're selling, right? So when you're in the courtroom, how are you going to have that conviction mm. to defend that person who is a, a, a murderer, right? So you have to reprogram your mind Mm. To have to put yourself in their life and in, in their journey. But like there are some skills overall, like universal skills when it comes to selling. Mm. Um, I think the most important is the trust mm. that people have with you. And trust doesn't have to be where they like you and they think that you're amazing and 
that trust that you can do the job, that you're competent, your product is going to make a difference, right? Because a lot of people will say, well, yeah, they have to like you, but I don't think it's more important than them trusting in the results. Because I've bought from many people who I liked, but you know what, I, I didn't hate them. I don't think you can buy from someone unless they're a doctor or a funeral director that, you know, like you have no choice. Um, but yeah, so liking number two, an uh, important skill is, and is listening because a great mm -hmm. salesperson, the best sales, there was a study done like with thousands of people and it was like millions of dollars over many years and it's called spin selling. And they listened to that. I think don't quote me on this, but 30,000 plus calls. Mm -hmm. And they discovered that the best salespeople were those that asked questions and that were listening. They didn't talk a lot. Okay, so listening. And the, another one is the confidence that you have in yourself. Like I think that's number one, the, the, the confidence in your product and service. So if you can just like kind of get those three, then that's great. But then also there's another element of selling. If you are good at trust, you're good at asking questions and you're good at confidence, but you don't know how to prospect, for mm. example, say your job is the end-to-end -end sales, then you're screwed because there's no one there that you, you can build trust with. There's no one there that you can have the confidence. So you have to know also how to fill a pipeline, which is also important. So that's like kind of there's that piece, but then there's another piece of understanding the prospecting, um, the sales cadence, and that's like a, another whole art separate mm. to even sales, for example. Prospecting. So the art of yeah. prospecting. The art of prospecting, because if you don't have a pipeline or people to talk to, um, you're, it doesn't matter how great of a communicator you are. It doesn't matter how great closer you are. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to have anyone there to, to, to talk to. But some salespeople are lucky because they have somebody doing that for them, like people that are um, setting appointments for them. But if there are other salespeople, like people in recruitment, or other um, sales jobs that might not have a, a huge company or have a, the budget or even startups, you have to do everything. You have to do everything from the um, prospecting to the closing and everything in between. That's, that, that's clear. I think the art of prospecting and keeping a pipeline full is basically what it's like the, what happens below the surface of the iceberg. Because yeah. I've read somewhere that the conversion rate, you know, from prospecting to converting is like five to ten percent. Is it mm. is it accurate? Don't quote me on this, but I've I've seen that if you if you have ten prospects, let's say, uh, that your maximum conversion rate could be one maximum to two people. Uh, let's say if you are doing one on one consulting or coaching. So unless mm. you have a pipeline of potential customers the majority of whom most likely will not convert at all times. This means that you may be the best salesman in the world, but you have no clients. This is what you mean. Yeah. So can you just repeat the part about the five to 10%? I missed that. I've read somewhere that on average, five to 15% is the, yeah. conversion, the conversion rate to convert a prospect into a customer. Okay. So you have 10 prospects. Yeah. The, the chances are you, you will convert, let's say, one to two maximum. Uh, 
uh, at a time. And then the rest will think about it later, will sleep on it, will not respond to you, which means that it's, it's, it's imperative that you keep, you keep at it, you accept yeah. rejections, and it's part of the game that the majority of the, the people who show an interest to you or your leads will bounce. Is it, is yeah. it a valid thing? Yeah, if you qualify well, then yeah, you could convert one or two of those people. But if you qualify bad, you're going mm. to convert zero of those people. Um, and also some sales uh, processes are longer. So some of them, you know, on the phone, it's just a number. So on the phone, telemarketers that are selling mm. uh, high volume, low cost uh, insurance, or I don't know, what do they sell on the phone? Internet packages. Um, they could convert a lot more sometimes than the people that are selling consulting services or software to or like, you know, mil million dollar software. It's going to take, and sometimes you have to talk to 200 people mm. to get that one client. Okay. So it all depends. Like, I think the thing that's important for people that are listening to, to kind of realize there are very different types of sales processes. I mean, the human psychology and fundamentals are quite similar but there are different strategies. So if you're selling to organizations, mm. it, you know, people say there's no B2B or B2C. There's um, B2H, sorry, B2B or B2C, business to, there's B, business to human. Or no, no, mm. H to H, H to H, human, human to human. Human to human. Yeah, human to yeah, human. And yeah, I, yeah. I, you know what? Like, yeah, that's nice and idealistic. But at the end of the day, no, there is B2B and there is B2C. Mm. And if you don't understand the difference, you are screwed. I'm sorry. I mean, you okay. cannot, you cannot <laughs> sell a huge contract to a, a, a huge conglomerate through the, through a telephone. Can I sell to but you? Some, a people one? Think, some people think that. Like I've I've coached uh, startups that were selling uh, to an enterprise, but they came from a telemarketing mentality, and they gave up after 500 calls because they said they didn't close any deals. And I said, of course, you're not going to close any deals because you're selling. Um, I don't know, $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 packages. For you to, I said, if you did well by getting an email address, getting a little bit more time or getting some information about their business, then you have closed something on the phone. Okay. And the best, like, of course, you need to get an appointment, but sometimes it's just a phone call in a business to business enterprise. It's just one of the touch points of many because you need to have many touch points in help with help with to your. There's a marketing team. If you have a good marketing team, they're helping you through Facebook ads and pop-up ads uh, with brand recognition and also with you as a salesperson using LinkedIn, using email, using the phone, using voice message, using text message, door knocking, uh, getting creative, all the uh, value-adding stuff and all the hunting, like hunting and farming as well. Hmm. Hunting and farming. I've, I've even, on the touch points, I've even read somewhere that if a prospect sees 10 pieces of content of a brand, mm. of a company, or, or of a provider, or more, they are 10 times more likely to buy from a brand than yeah. not. So, so I guess something I, similar applies for touch points. You need to increase your touch points depending That's on the value of the... Hmm? Hmm? Touch points. So they saw your brand 10 times. That is 10 touch points. Mm. Apparently, they need to see it 20 or more times. 
Some people say 20, some people, some marketers say 27. In the past, it used to be seven, apparently. Now it's gone up to 20. So, which, hmm, which shows why the online content, quality content activity can help you build uh, more trust, right? For the longer term. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's why you can't really sometimes measure it, but you just mm. know that you're building more credibility and it takes time. Like, when I first started my business almost seven years ago, so I think in September, it will be September, October, it will be seven years. Um, I reached out to a lot of people on LinkedIn, to be honest with you. I wasn't doing my personal branding. I was doing a lot of uh, prospecting. Now, if I'm going to reach out to the same people right now, I will get – I. so I used to get like barely any responses sometimes or sometimes some responses, but now I get – so many more responses and some people say thank you i've been following you on linkedin mm. when i'm trying to sell to them like i don't try and sell directly but i'm you know it's like that sales message where hey check out this is what i do i'd love to meet you i want to talk to you more about what we do um and they're like yes or i've been following you or thank you like they're looking at i've got more credibility because they've seen me through touch points. And my touch points are not just on LinkedIn. I have a huge email marketing campaign. Hmm. If I had to choose between, and I would say, if someone said you have to choose between your email marketing list or your LinkedIn, I'd choose my email marketing. Hmm. Although That's I have 40,000 uh, followers on LinkedIn, I would still choose my email marketing. That's where I build a lot of my personal brand, by the way. through the uh, I share a lot of um, articles and also some videos. With my uh, and though some of them I I don't share them anywhere outside of my email marketing, so I don't even share them on the public blogs. Uh, you need so you need multiple of tools and touch points can be either online, offline, but even online touch points can be through LinkedIn, through email marketing, through Facebook, through webinars, perhaps through, yeah. it's not as easy as it looks. It, that's why you said in your TED talk, like, uh, and we can wrap, wrap it. I have a couple of points, Rana, uh, comments from viewers. And oh, let me, uh, let me yeah. go on my screen. Let's see them now, actually. Let's see them now. Okay. Yeah, from, I need to go on my I'll, I'll put them on the screen now. Okay, from San Diego Vela. Hi, Rana. Amazing talk. San Diego. Wait, wait. San, what's... <laughs> San Diego Vela. Where is he from? I think I know him. It's from Facebook. It's one of your fans. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait. <laughs> give me a sec. Give me a sec. No worries. Uh, thank you, Santiago. Mm -hmm. So we have a comment from uh, Stasis, who is a prominent insurance advisor in Cyprus, an ex-Olympian as well. Hello, wow. Stathis. Stathis asks us, how about over-promise and over-deliver? We said that if you if you over-promise and you are the deliver, the, the result will be really detrimental to you as a salesperson. But Stathis asks, how about if you over-promise and you over-deliver? <laughs> Do you have any comment there? I think, yeah, that should be fine. Overpromise, and as long as you're confident in yourself to overdeliver. And even I think I overpromise and overdeliver many times because so I, I, think, I, believe, I believe so much in what mm. I do that I get so excited. I'm like, yes, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you. And, and then I go and I'm like, oh my God, I've just overpromised. So I have to even like work and give so much more than what, what I have given. So, so yeah, as I long. 
so it's a good uh, it's a good tip by Stathis. So as long as you don't over promise and under deliver, you should be good to go. And by Norin mostly, hello Rana and Philippos. Hello, thank you for your comment, Norin. I think we pretty much wrapped, wrapped up the comments. Hi, I would Norin. Like, <laughs> I just I would like, Norin. Yeah, I would like to ask you about your plans. I see that you have a new exciting online course coming up, Effective Reverse Marketing and Sales on the 15th of July. Is correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to say a few things about that? It looks really interesting and uh, comprehensive. Okay, so this course is quite exclusive to a niche market. It's not for everybody. It's for a niche market that work in employment services. So it's for consultants mm. that help unemployed people into work. And I teach those employment consultants how to market and sell their job seekers into a job. And many of those job seekers maybe have been unemployed for a long time, have barriers, have uh, maybe um, English as a second language or even disabilities. And, yeah, so it's just getting on the phone and contacting employers, going out door knocking, and creating awareness and partnerships with the employers to give those people a chance because a lot of those people sometimes they might have many career gaps or specific mm. disabilities that they might not fit into the workplace so yeah that course is quite specific but if anyone wants to check out my other course it's called selling for non-sales people online that's more general for everybody that's not a salesperson that mm. learn how to sell and that's that's all from me i've <laughs> done it I've done the course, the sales for non-sales people is fantastic. I told you it's really helpful. I highly recommend everyone uh, to check out uh, Rana's uh, work. She's really consistent, uh, reliable, and trustworthy in what she does. I know her for two years, but I can vouch for her with all my might and my heart. Thank you for, for being a guest. Really, it's, I'm very happy about it. Thank you. It's an I love your work too. And I follow your work and I, I love watching your journey, like how you've just reached and you keep on growing. And yeah, it's amazing. I knew that you had talent when I first, your first video, I was like, this guy's got talent. He's got passion. He knows what he's talking about. He knows how to create all these frameworks and acronyms. I like this guy. I learned from the best. <laughs> Remember that you were the first person I saw your first video. So thank you. Thank you to our viewers. Good luck with everything you do with the course and your next projects. And we will be in touch, hopefully, in a new episode as well. Yeah, thank you. Bye, bye, Rena. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Bye, thank bye, you. Bye, bye, bye. Ciao. I save a prayer for those who care. I keep the faith, but no one will dare to hold my hand until the end. When all the pieces fall into place, my body's weak, the mind is tired, but there's a fire that heals deep inside. I close my eyes and stretch my soul to gather up the 